0: We'll mm-hmm. So
1: happy halloween and welcome to episode 114 of some like it scott i'm your host scott harvey and i'm joined as always by my co-host scott shelton today on a special episode of the podcast we pay tribute to the holiday by taking a trip back to 1996 to review a horror classic west craven slasher satire scream and we're so happy to be joined by recurring guest and friend of the podcast Danny Kunkel. danny Even though 2020 has seemed like the longest year in human history, it doesn't feel like it's been almost a year since you last appeared on Some Like It, Scott, and yet that is the case. How have you been in the interim, and how are you doing now?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I'm thrilled to be back, of course. Um, As Scott Harvey knows, this is one of my all-time favorite movies, as embarrassing as that might be to admit, Um, but it is truly I was pumped to be invited back, but I was incredibly pumped because it was this movie. So thank you guys for having me again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We always have you for scary movie. I didn't, and I didn't specifically know that this one was one of your favorites, but I'm glad it worked out that way. And look, I just want to say no one should ever be embarrassed about what their favorite movie is, unless their favorite movie is Vice or something. But other than that, no one should be embarrassed about what their favorite movie is because you like what you like. You can't help it. I know that. I think Scott probably agrees with me on that. But.
0: Absolutely. It's a shame that it's been so long, too, because I know we were supposed to have you for A Quiet Place Part 2, which was supposed to be back like March 20th and October 31st at the time of this podcast releasing. So crazy.
1: Yeah, no, uh, that's that's how 2020 has been. But I'm glad that we could get you for this one. Again, there were there
0: were no really
1: new horror movies uh, out. So um, that's kind of why we we decided to do this. And, And hey, like Danny said, it's one of her favorite movies. I really loved the movie. To you know, not to spoil anything, Scott hadn't seen it, so this was this was a good opportunity for us to to discuss it on the podcast and to force Scott to watch a uh, horror movie that he might not otherwise watch. But um, yeah, like I said, uh, since there were no new horror movies out, and no, you Halloween does not count, uh, we decided to do a throwback review this week of a movie that Danny and I have seen, but Scott was watching for the first time. in Scream. Directed by horror icon Wes Craven, Scream was a surprise box office hit when it hit theaters in the mid-90s, breathing new life into the slasher genre. The film is an often tongue-in-cheek satire set in the small town of Woodsboro, where teenager Sidney Prescott, played by Neff Campbell, is still reeling from the shocking murder of her mother the previous year, when a mass killer begins picking off local teens and making threatening phone calls to Sidney. Since Sidney's friends, including Jamie Kennedy as Randy and Rose McGowan as Tatum, And her boyfriend Billy, played by Skeet Ulrich, also become wrapped up in the killings when Ghostface makes an appearance at their house party. Elsewhere, scoop chasing reporter Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, is also hot on the trail of the Ghostface killer as she butts heads with Sidney and finds unexpected sparks with sensitive Woodsboro cop Dewey, played by David Arquette. I want to start with Danny and talk about your history with this movie. Obviously, you said this is one of your favorite movies, but. Uh, When did you first watch it, and do you think it still holds up to this day, despite being 24 years old now?
2: That's a good question. I don't even know if I remember when I very first saw it. If I had to, because I've seen it now, I think, at least six or seven times. But I want to say my dad and I, when I was growing up, there was one summer back when, if you can believe it, Blockbuster was still open. And we would go for the whole summer, we had like the pass where you could get one movie out at a time. And so we had done that. And I was on like a huge horror movie kick. That was kind of what started the love that I still have today. And I think that we got it during that summer. So I think I was about maybe 14 years old when I first saw it. Um, my dad, of course, skipped past the uh, indecent scenes and didn't let my innocent heart become tainted, oh. but <laughs> but I have since seen the entirety <laughs> of the movie. Um, but yeah, no, I love it every time I watch it. I think that it is so, like you said, it just so changed the genre. It sort of like revitalized horror films at the time and- It does so many unique things so well, like breaking the fourth wall, acknowledging the stupid things that people do in horror films, and yet the characters do them anyway. I mean, it's just this perfect blend of comedy horror that I think is unmatched.
1: I'm curious as to what counts as the indecent scenes. Is it like when she gives him the little PG 13 flash or is it like when Drew Barrymore is like hanging from a tree with her guts, like hanging out of her, like,
2: uh, no, the hanging from the tree, totally fine for my yeah. dad. It's definitely the little, uh,
1: that's what I kind of thought you would say. With the <laughs> that seems to be how, how things go with most parents, but, uh, but yeah, Scott. How about you? This was obviously your first time watching the movie. Um, do you get the hype? Do you think it it holds up despite you know again being 24 years old and this being your first time seeing it?
0: Yeah, I think it it does largely hold up as a maybe as a satire less of the broader horror genre, but of the specific slice of the horror genre that it's trying to. I don't know, make fun of a little bit and then also kind of lean into also at the same time, I think it does a really good job by, you know, he's reading just a little bit more about it and, and how it did, you know, seemingly revitalize that genre, especially the slasher genre at the time it came out. It was the second, I mean, at the time it was the highest grossing horror movie ever period until Halloween two years ago came out. And I mean, that like blew out the record for highest grossing horror movie. Uh, And we'll see if Halloween kills next year can surpass that but overall yeah what did you say i'd say maybe next year yeah yeah, that's a good point maybe next year hopefully next year it's got a it's got a little time to um cool off the whole world but look i I think i do get it look is this film ever going to be one of my favorites probably not but i don't i mean that doesn't have to be doesn't have to be every person's favorite film and i did really enjoy it I, i think that it really does strike that nice balance of being a slasher film and still holding true to that sort of subgenre and the history of that subgenre while also, and and being scary to some extent while also being funny. Right. And I think that doing something new and adding a flavor of comedy to something that in the grand scheme of things, it's like, it's kind of silly that all, you know, that all these things are happening. Right. And so to actually lean into that and, and appreciate that for what it is, I think it's a, it's a really good blend. Do I think it's maybe a little too silly sometimes for my personal taste? Maybe. Maybe I think it does lean a little bit too far in that direction for me. But I still I still appreciate that probably more than I would just something I don't know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Something that's like so overly serious and concerned with freaking you out or even like the Saw movies, things like that. So I think overall, the blend was really refreshing to see for the subgenre. And I can totally understand why it works and why it holds up. Right? Like, is it as good of a critique of the horror genre these days when I think you have a lot of a lot more interesting things being done with the horror genre? Uh, Trying to really embed sometimes really powerful themes into it, but it really effectively works for the critique of sort of the old school slashers for sure and look like even the the, those tropes that it makes fun of are still tropes that are used today. So it's not like it, it hasn't aged well in that sense. So I think the critiques stay, you know, relevant and the comedy stays, you know, pretty fresh on the whole
1: yeah i uh i'm a big fan of this movie i am a big fan of this franchise um i did a quick letterbox check check just a second ago and this is number 50 on my top 100 favorite movies the first one so um it's it's up there for me as well um and yeah the whole the whole series though and i mean i don't know scott i i don't think you'll probably go on to watch the whole series or anything like immediately after this but um consistency wise it's very consistent like um, and, and, you know, with, with horror movies, that's, that's honestly a big plus because, like, you know, the, the big franchises and stuff, like Nightmare on Elm Street, which is obviously Wes Craven originated, but uh, Friday the 13th, Halloween, like, they have 400 sequels and, like, maybe two of them are actually well considered. Like, I think all four of the Scream movies are good. Um, I think the first two especially are great. The third one is okay. And the, the fourth one, I think, is, is good. I think it brings it back a little bit. But they're all, they're all solid. It's like the Mission Impossible of horror um franchises where even the the weakest one is still like a solid movie for me um and, the, but and i p- like to
0: be clear that that's not a popular opinion it's like a lot of people think three and four are bad right three
1: yes but i think people have come around on four um in in recent years i think i think four most people enjoy but yeah if 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 you had to pick out the mission impossible two of the franchise right it's it's screen three from mm. you know my, my understanding of now in the discourse how the films are considered danny you look like you have something to say
2: yeah, I've seen all mm-hmm. four. Three is definitely a low point. I actually rank them one, four, okay. two, three. The fourth one for me had, the they brought back the same characters, but they obviously acknowledged that it had been some time past. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I thought that fours, like you said, the consistency, the connection to the earlier films was really well executed. And yet it had enough fresh twists and flavor that I liked four a lot.
1: Yeah. Um, and obviously, we have Scream 5 is going to be coming out right uh, it's at some point. And Nev Campbell is returning, of course. Wes Craven has passed away now, so he will not be directing it. But I correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. It's Radio Silence, right? It's the Ready or Not directors who I think are going to be directing this. Um, that's correct, yeah. Tyler Gillen and Matt Bettonelli, but yeah, so they're going to be doing Scream 5 at some point, which is exciting because again, they they haven't gone wrong for me yet. I haven't seen three and four in, in quite a while, I see. But this actually made me want to go back and watch it. And on the whole, like, I do really like horror comedies. I mean, Scott will know. I think Danny might know as well. But one of the movies that I rewatch have rewatched the most over the past few years, yeah, is Happy Death Day. Um, And so I like when uh, movies can, yeah, take sort of the inherent silliness of, you know, the slasher genre, the horror genre at times and, you know. Wink at it. But, yeah, again, like you said, Scott, what is so good about Scream, I think, is that it is also a good slasher movie, like, in and of itself. Uh, it's not just, like, making fun of it. it I think it's a, it's a good slasher movie. I think there's some really well-staged kill sequences. I mean, the first scene is, like, the probably the most iconic scene in the movie with Drew Barrymore. I, obviously, no one knew um, that... I can't remember, I think no one knew she was even going to be in the movie, or if they did know she was going to be in the movie, it was like a Janet Lee and Psycho thing, right, where they didn't realize she was going to get killed off as early as she did, uh, so it was a surprise, whatever the case was, when the film was first released, and so that's pretty fun, um, because obviously she is, you know, the biggest, she, she, would, she was the biggest star of anyone in this movie at the time, but I think that, yeah, I mean, that sequence, the I love the garage door kill scene with Tatum. I think that's really well staged. Um, I think it works as a a straight up horror movie too, which is, you know, I don't think the film would work as well if that weren't the case. Um, I think the cast is really good. A lot of these people, you know, this was kind of their breakthrough, right? They would go on to be sort of stars of like, in like teen movies and stuff like that in the late nineties, early two thousands. You know, people like Matthew Lillard and uh, Jamie Kennedy, and uh, Neff Campbell to some extent, but she was already a little bit of a star because she was on Party of Five, which a TV show at the time. But, um, and then Kevin Williamson, right, who was the writer of this movie, um, he went on to do a lot of stuff uh, and a lot of it in the TV world. Of course, his most famous thing that he did is probably Dawson's Creek. He is the creator and a uh, writer, at least of the, f- of the first couple seasons, I think, of Dawson's Creek. Um, so he was kind of the vo- scream kind of made him like the voice for teenagers of this era He did he did I know what you did last summer, right? Which is another sort of teen slasher movie that came out in the 90s uh, so this was a big movie really for everyone involved This was not a movie that has become like a cult classic or anything. He was big at the time And it's still big and I think it's easy to see why uh, I think it's just a really fun movie I think like you said scott the things that it pokes fun at are still present in horror movies today It's got great characters Enjoyable, you know, kill sequences and stuff. I think it's uh, it's you know, close to perfect for a horror movie, um, uh, for a movie of this genre. And uh, my opinion on that has not faded over the years. So I was very glad to get to revisit it um, for this podcast. But yeah, let's talk about the uh, the cast of this movie. I, I alluded to them there um, because uh, you know there are two real people. There are only really two people at the time who were sort of big stars, and that was, like I said, Nev Campbell because of um, because of, uh, Party of Five, and then Courtney Cox because of Friends, um, but everyone else was kind of on the cusp of breaking through. Andrew Barrymore, of course, but, like, I don't even really consider her since she, she dies in the first scene, but, um, let's start with Niff Campbell because she is, you know, the lead, she's the final girl, she's in all of the movies, um, what do you think about her performance? Is she a good, you know, again, final girl, does she match up well with, like, Jamie Lee Curtis's and Halloween, I guess, maybe is the most iconic example, but. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you this time. What, what do you think about her performance?
0: Sure, certainly doesn't match up with the Jamie Lee Curtis of Halloween 2018, <laughs> though with yeah. shotguns and stuff on the front porch. Um, but does it match up with other sort of iconic slasher heroines of the time? I'll take people's word for it. I haven't even seen the original Halloween. I haven't. I've seen like I've seen like Nightmare on Elm Street, and I've seen Friday a couple of the Friday the Thirteenth, which I can't say have iconic um, like heroine or hero leads no. in, in, in those films. Those are Uh, a bit more focused on their slashers their villains but look like does she hold up to what you'd expect from something like a stereotypical like lead in this type of movie sort of kind of maybe i I don't know like i i'd be more interested to hear what you guys have to say i will say that i think these days um something like halloween 2018, 2018 for example like you'd like your female heroines probably to be like a bit more um Proactive and assertive and less feeling like some like female stereotypes, which I think we're still sprinkled or at least littered into this movie and it's probably an artifact of the time like but for the time it's probably like a pretty good step forward for the slasher genre in terms of how it's portraying. It's like female heroines or male heroes, male heroes, whatever it might be. Uh, I, I think it, I think it works. Is it a standout kind of iconic role for me? Not immediately off the bat, I'll be honest, but I've also only seen it once and I'll be interested to see how it sits with me over time. But that's just kind of my take 24 years later.
1: Yeah, I think we see her like grow into the like, I think she becomes pretty proactive by the end of the movie, to be honest with you. I mean, she's she starts fighting back about halfway through or so. So, yeah, maybe like you said, that was a step forward at the time.
0: Um, I mean, I would say she's she fights in the very final act of the film. But yeah, see what you're saying. I mean, she's mostly just running away until the final. Like yeah, so. and I, I
1: mean, I think the point is, you know, maybe she's still feeling the after effects of her mother's death or whatever, which is obviously fresh on her mind. But, Danny, what are your thoughts on Neff Campbell as the heroine here?
2: Yeah, so I think that we, we, you use this term, like, does she hold up to the standard of other scream queens? From my perspective, I feel like she's, like, her own scream queen. I feel like she... Like you said, it is such a unique genre. It was bringing back this slasher comedy sort of deal. And I feel like when I think of Scream Queens, and this might just because, be because of what films I've seen, I first think, of course, of Jamie Lee Curtis. But Neve Campbell, for me, is the second person who I think of because I think this role was so iconic. And I do think the fact that she's been in all four of the movies said something about like her ability to lead the movie She is very good at showing, you know, the fear, the emotion, because the story does have, like you said, that that small, sad aspect of her mother's death. And I think she portrays all of that really well. Um, I think that I don't know, for me, she it it was that iconic performance that has stuck with me that maybe it wasn't for Scott Shelton.
1: Yeah, I I'm a big fan of it as well. I think there's like she has like an innocence about her in the beginning, you know, like the whole opening scene with her and Billy and in the bedroom, obviously. And she, you know, won't go that far. And then she gives him, again, a little PG-13 flash, whatever, as he's going out the window. Uh, I, I think that's a good way to set up the character based on what we're going to see for the rest of the movie, because obviously she undergoes an arc. She, you know, uh, undergoes a transformation and, you know, starts to fight back more. And it's also a nice contrast to all of her friends, because I think they all have big personalities. Or like Tatum is, you know, walking around kind of the bell of the ball a little bit. Obviously, Matthew Lillard as Stu is like, you know, in your face. Um, and even Billy, right? Like, he's not like as gregarious, but he's like, he has this sort of like dark, misunderstood thing about him from the beginning. So I like that she kind of evens out all of these big personalities by not necessarily being a big personality herself Uh, i think that that is uh important for the uh, for someone who is going to be the scream queen the final girl because i think part of the the fun of like a movie like this with a high kill count is like seeing the people with like the big personalities or whatever maybe some of them that we don't like um seeing them get bumped off in creative ways um and so i think she's a nice contrast to the rest of the cast but um yeah, I, I, you know, maybe maybe some of that is coming from again having seen the other three films. I have goodwill um, for her because of those three films. I like her in some other movies. I I watched a little bit of Party Five. Like I I think she's uh, a a good actress. She's not in that much anymore, but um, maybe she just wasn't ever act, wasn't really a- able to get out of the shadow of this role um, of Sydney Prescott. Because if you look at her filmography again, it, it really thins out once you get to like the mid two thousands um except for Scream four like that's the one sort of big thing that she pops up in um other than like maybe playing a wife or something in an action movie every now and then but um let's talk about the supporting cast again a lot of them are familiar faces now um but weren't necessarily at the time uh, so you have the friend group maybe, maybe we'll start with the friend group which is um you know i would describe as like skeet ulrich as billy you have matthew lillard as Stu. you have Rose McGowan as Tatum and you have Jamie Kennedy as Randy. Um Scott who or I'll go to Danny first this time. Danny who stands out uh to you from this uh, sort of cast of uh her friends?
2: I feel like I have to go Billy but only because of having watched <laughs> Are you going to say are you going
1: right to say Riverdale because he uh He's on Riverdale. He plays uh I think he's a, isn't he Jughead's dad? Yeah. I think so.
2: No, no, just you like how Riverdale. the movie concludes. I oh, think okay. that at the very No, end. you can
1: you can get into it. The 20 it's 20 the movie's been out for 24 years. Spoiler ban okay. up. Yeah.
2: All right, spoiler man up. Uh I think that he's such a creepy creepy killer, but he plays it so well. Like I think the scene where everything unfolds where where sydney finds out everything is just like like i remember when i first watched that how shocked i was and maybe it's because i was 14 right like i didn't see it coming (laughs) and so i thought his just like even when he was just trying to be the good boyfriend he added just enough creepy vibes that you think that it might be him but then he does a good job of reassuring her and making you think no no it's definitely not him and they they throw enough kind of uh little red herring for you to think it's other people so i think that he was probably my favorite just in the extent of he had such like a well-rounded character but played it so well
1: yeah no it's a good like double fake out right because you had like again like you said at the start you're like oh well it would be too obvious if it were him so it can't be him and then they kind of like you know they disprove it. he goes to the police uh, department and he gets you know disproven sort of like his whereabouts and everything. And then but then it comes back around and you're like, oh wow, I again I got double faked out. Plus you have the added element of like, uh, you know, Stu is also involved, right? Because that that explains how the whole thing was pulled off, um, which I think is a a nice reveal for me at least. But yeah, Scott, what about you as far as the supporting cast goes?
0: Yeah, I think for me it'd be Rose McGowan. I think that she has You know, for the time that she's on the screen at the very at the very least, I think that she's like the supportive friend that everyone wants. Right. Like she's someone who. Yeah, sure. Like she will be supportive of you in in ways and will also call some people, other people out for their crap in, in other ways. And so it's like it's like a nice balance of serious, but also, you know, encouraging her friend to, you know, have fun, relax a little bit. Not take things too seriously, but also not pushing her too far. So I think she's like a good friend uh, to the lead character of, uh, here, Sydney Prescott and F Campbell's character. And I think it's a pretty good performance from her, especially since she's like I guess a lot of these people, not an actress that I'm necessarily that familiar with. I mean, she's I'm very familiar with her outside of the context of movies, just because she's yeah. made herself uh, quite relevant these days. But I think to actually see her role in the film, I I really enjoyed that character. And it, I even though I think she has the most creative kill for sure the way that she ends up dying and i guess that makes me like the character more because i feel bad for her because she kind of gets the she gets like the gold star for most creative way killed in the film but overall i think it checked a lot of boxes for me and was good
1: yeah i there's first of all there's something really sort of like ironically funny about the fact that you know these slasher movies one of the tropes is like they have like these big boobed like women running around and everything. And then she ends up dying because she can't like fit her boobs through the doggy door or whatever. Like, I, I'm sure that that was intentional, but it is kind of funny, but, um, but yeah, she's a good character. Like I like, like, again, like you said, Scott, I like that she like will tell it like it is like that. I think that's an important scene that she has with Sydney where she's like, hey, you know, wake up call. What if your mom wasn't actually like the saint or whatever that you think of her as? Um, what if there's like some truth to this story about the fact that she actually, you know, had an affair maybe with Cotton Weary, um, who, you know, becomes more of a character starting in the second film, but, um, but I, uh, so, so I think that's an important scene for like the character development. I love Jamie Kennedy's performance as Randy, obviously um i think he's great as like you know the video store like he is like the you know movie geek of the movie or whatever like he's the one that's making all the movie references he's the one who's supposed to be like sort of smarter than everyone else um because you know he's seen all of the movies um he he's giving everyone the lessons about you know here are the rules that you have to follow but then you know i think what the movie portrays well is like when when it starts going down like you know forget the rules like uh, and also like I like that and I'm getting ahead of myself maybe is
0: that up, what the up, movie up. says I mean he was drinking which is like one of the sins that you get killed well, for. yeah
1: and this is what I was gonna say is I like I, I think it like sort of like skewers teenagers for being like look all they have to do is like not have sex not drink whatever like and they will not die and they can't do it right like they just like we're, we're like we're so like we have to enjoy our youth they're like no that's a deal breaker for me like we have to go through with all of this stuff so I think it like skewers um, teenagers in some way. And again, like, you know, the dumb decisions that these characters make in movies at times. Um, but, uh, I, I, so I like that aspect of it. I think that is probably what it is saying more, but, um, I, so I I think Jamie Kennedy's character is good as like the guy that like, Oh, I have it all figured out, but no one will listen to me. Um, and as a result, like, you know, he ends up in the same predicament as everyone else by the end, even though he does survive, of course. But, um, yeah, no, I think he's a strong character. I think they're all strong characters. I think that's why the movie, you know, is is so, you know, iconic, rewatchable, memorable, because it's not just Sydney. Right. Like Sydney is arguably again, maybe this goes to what Scott was saying earlier. Sydney is maybe not the most memorable character in the movie, but um, she's surrounded by a really good ensemble, which I think is important to any horror movie to be. To be quite honest, I think the surrounding characters are important, too. I think Happy Death Day, right, to bring out the movie earlier, I think also has a really fun supporting cast, even though, yes, like, that movie is more, like, the, it's focused say. on Je- Jessica Roth as as Tree, but um, but does have a good supporting cast as well. But, Danny?
2: The, the only other thing I think I would point out, maybe to Scott Shelton's point earlier, too, is that maybe we don't get as much of the strong fight back kind of heroine from Neve Campbell, because we get that from Courtney Cox in a way, like she's kind of the one they almost have like a dual role of like the two leads kind of, I mean, obviously Neve Campbell is the number one lead, but Courtney Cox also has, a lot of screen time and she's the one who's really investigating and like going after it. So maybe that's kind of where we get a little bit more of that energy since it's not coming as much from Neve Campbell. So I just obviously she's not one of the like lesser known supporting cast members, but I do want to give Courtney Cox a shout out because she was, of course, incredible. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> and that, I mean
0: she's the most famous person in in the lead cast, probably. Yeah, so.
1: and that was where that's a nice transition because then I as the last point on the cast, I wanted to ask about, yeah, the other two sort of major characters that we didn't talk about, which were um you know, Gale, played by Courtney Cox and Dewey played by David Arquette. Of course, they were married in real life for a short time. But, um, but yeah, uh, what do you guys think about... These are other characters who pop up in the other films, obviously. I don't want to say too much because, you know, in case Scott does watch the sequels at some point. But, um, you know, I think, Danny, you've given us some good thoughts there about Courtney Cox. Scott, do you want to say anything more about either of these two characters and performances?
0: Yeah, I really like Courtney Cox. She's probably my famous favorite performance in the film i think that she i wasn't really sure how to feel about her at the beginning i mean i think she i mean that's the i mean and maybe that's the answer to how good the performance is like she plays this sort of like skeezy tabloid reporter really well um and has this sort of like glossy sheen that you'd expect some sort of like superstar tv actress like her at this point right um to be like and i appreciated that thought it was really good david arquette's just sort of like whatever for me I think he plays this sort of like meek police officer who lacks any sort of confidence and has these has a lot of insecurities like fine not a memorable character but I do think that that Gail Weathers is this It um, is like the memorable character in the movie and Danny I think I take your point around you know she's kind of the person who has like the spunk and the fight back you know from early on because she's she's a, a seasoned veteran of taking crap from people as a tabloid reporter right so she has that sort of attitude and 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 spunk to her that makes her more memorable from the outset, but also makes kind of makes, I think other people, especially someone like Dewey gravitate toward her in, in these like kind of larger moments. So overall, I think I, like, I really enjoyed the performance. I think there's a nice arc to it as well, as much as there is a nice arc to Nev Campbell's character and where these two characters sort of end up together, sort of uniting against the terror that is, you know, Billy and, stew at the end i i really like that i like that sort of tale of like you know usually the slashers end up killing all the people in the movie or only one of them gets away but in this case you have these like two women who unite together and manage to uh o- overcome them right even i guess although technically i guess Rand isn't randy the one who actually ends up shooting the i forget who who is actually no, it's 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 sydney
1: i believe right because oh, he's he's the one who no he's it's the one who not says. He's, but isn't he the one who says, oh, this is the part where the killer always comes back, and then he comes back. And I thought it was Sydney that shoots him. Oh, the final shot. Okay, yeah, yeah.
2: Final shot is Gail.
1: Okay, so so she shoots him after he,
0: like, comes back
1: again. Yes. Okay. I know she shoots him when she's in the doorway. I thought that Sydney was the one who got the final shot. But okay. Yeah. E- either way, it wasn't right. Really either way.
0: Either way. Yeah. yeah. I think... You might, you might be right. I think that Gail gets the first shot and then Sydney gets yeah, the last shot. I think so too. Yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully hopefully this comes up, yeah, hopefully this comes up in your trivia match right after this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, no, I, I really appreciate that moment, the fact that you had these two women sort of come together to overcome this. And, and if you're talking earlier about how oh, things hold up, like that's a nice moment. I think that's a really nice moment to have these two. In the same way, I thought like the what like the three generations of, of women from Halloween 2018 coming together and defeating yeah. Michael Myers, asterisk, because he's supernatural and we'll come back in the future movies. Um, but no, I, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate this here as well. And and it's a nice, again, ending trajectory for both of their acts, but I find it especially so for, for Gail.
1: Yeah, there is actually something sort of like arresting about, you know, Hollywood actress from friends, Courtney Cox, like standing in the doorway, like soaked in blood at the end or whatever. Like it's a very, it, it's an, it's a role you wouldn't expect from her at this particular time in her career. So I think they do a good job of playing off of that. Like you said, Scott, like, oh yeah, she's set up as like, yeah, the glossy TV reporter or whatever, but she has to get her hands dirty when like she actually becomes part of the story. Like it's right. not just her watching from a distance anymore. It's like, she actually has to, you know, participate or she might die. Uh, like Kenny, her cameraman who, uh, who gets it in. I, again, another sequence I like, right? The tape delay thing I think is a good reveal. And then, you know, he opens the, Bandor and bang, um, that was that was good. But um, let's move on to you know a couple of things in the plot. I want to ask about just sort of the meta commentary, right? Because that's sort of what the film is known for, um, for being you know having this these satirical elements of slasher films. Wes Craven obviously being a slasher director himself, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Last House on the Left. Um, So he, um, you know, he obviously himself had probably you know, experimented with some of these tropes before and he's, you know, skewering them here in, in various ways. You know, again, we have the video store scene with Randy talking about, Oh, it's always the boyfriend. Right. And he's, he ends up being right. Um, but no one believes him at the time. And then, you know, he's going through the rules, you know, don't have sex. Don't say I'll be right back. Uh, which as a side note, I, for, for years since I've watched this movie, every time I say like, I'll be right back and and casual conversation i always say it like matthew lillard when he like makes his first exit he's like
0: i'll be right
1: back and like disappears through the door i always say it like that uh, because of this movie but um do you think that i'll i'll ask this to Danny first do you think that this uh type of things you know works does it still make sense today like with horror movies today do you still look at it and go oh yeah i get it like that they're totally right these things always do happen in horror movies Uh, they one thing that they neglected to mention but i think if, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they mess with this in Scream 4, but like the fact that the the black guy always dies like first, because doesn't Anthony Anderson come up in Scream 4? Yeah, and he starts talking about that. But yeah, but maybe that's a more recent trend or something. I don't know. But uh, I think they get the rules right for me, at least. What do you think, Dan?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean... It's like you said, it's hilarious, because he makes all of these jokes, and they all turn out to be true. And yet it's still an awesome movie. So it goes to show you not only that there are these tropes, these, you know, consistent storylines, but they're consistent for a reason they work. Um, I think it just adds the way it even carries through to all of the other movies, like you said, like it comes back up every single time. I just think it adds the to the humor of it. You know, there's always the guy who's the nerdy movie guy and he knows everything. And he's trying to tell us all how to avoid getting killed. But like you mentioned before, the teenagers, they just can't listen. And so they die anyway. I think that it the portions that I like the way that they execute it the most, for example, with Tatum's death, how she sees the guy with the mask on. But she just doesn't even take him seriously. She's like, oh, you're not the killer. Like, it's fine, even though she should take him seriously. And so I think that because they are all so aware of the horror movie tropes and all of that, I think it that's what helps with the humor and the horror combo. It adds it, you kind of um you're left second guessing your beliefs every single time because you're like, no way would they be totally consistent with the exact trope that they described here. So I think it's great. I love, of course, all the phone calls. What's your favorite scary movie? That part doesn't really make sense in, in realist. Like, if you think about it realistically, like, why are they asking that? But I still like it. I think it's just part of well, the
1: <laughs> part of that. Again, again, I don't want to offer any spoilers for the sequels, but there actually is something clever that they do with the the questions that he asked to Drew Barrymore in the first scene and the way that that kind of comes back around in the second movie. But again, I don't want to say too much about that. But yeah, it's almost it's almost poking fun at the audience of horror movies in a way too, right? Because it's like, oh, you guys sit there and you're like, oh, this is so dumb, like these characters, why why do they do this? Like, but, you know, if you were in the situation, right? Like who's to say that, you know, you wouldn't also cuz cuz that's that's the characters, right? Like they like you said, they've seen horror movies, they've been the audience members and yet they still fall into the same traps because yeah, maybe it's not so easy when uh when you're actually being Stalked by a mask, masked killer to follow the rules. Um, so I think that's that's a pretty
0: smart commentary to me at least. Scott, I don't know if I have much more to add. I mean, I think it's like I said, it really works. It's all funny, doesn't? Hasn't stopped horror movies like this to, from continuing to do this moving forward. And to Danny's point, I think it's because it works as a general trope. And I think when you're creating movies like this, right? Like, yes, it's nice to have some things that are unexpected in them. But it's the type of genre where you also want to, you know, sort of meet the standards, right? Like you don't want everything in your movie to be a surprise. And so when you can set these sort of like general rules up, even it, even though they might be as silly as they are, especially when you set them up and make fun of them in the way this film does, I think that it's it's still good and works for the genre because it adds some structure and some form to it and allows you to tinker with it on the margins and and create something more interesting on the margins in in a movie like this, which is what this does with its comedic aspect, right? Like that's the way it tinkers with the formula um, by making fun of itself. And I think that other movies should like should and have followed that general rule of, all right, you abide by these tropes, not because it's the right or the wrong way to do them, but because it works and it allows a level of comfort for the people who are watching the movie and then allows you to play with with, uh, with something else on the, uh, that's a little bit different on the margins as well. So I don't know if I have anything else to add on, on that point, but that's the reason why I think it works. A as a formula and B also in terms of making fun of it because it's never going to get old. Cause people are never going to stop doing it. Cause it works.
1: Yeah. Um, and talking about the sort of satire as well, we didn't bring him up in the cast, but I love uh, Henry Winkler's cameo as the, uh, the principal of the school Henry, again, as be, yeah, as being like a traditionally known as like a very nice guy, you know, he played the fonts. He was like super cool on happy days. And he's kind of like a D bag in this movie. And then, yeah, and then obviously he, he gets it, but um but i thought that was a fun cameo horror movies again slasher movies often have like fun cameos like this and so um i thought that was a a good nod to that so yeah i think the meta commentary still works like scott said i think teens and horror movies are still doing this stuff they they just can't help but give into their uh you know hedonistic impulses i guess um and uh, you know i like how the movie plays off of that but let's talk about the reveal now you know obviously we have talked about it but Um, I want to know whether you guys think it works like the reveal obviously that Billy and Stu are you know have orchestrated the killings in tandem they killed Sydney's mom and they you know do all the killings in this movie and their motivation is sort of that they don't necessarily like how like women are going around and like being a little slutty I guess for lack of a better word Um, and that's sort of their motivation does that add up for you? i think it's a little more than that right like well yeah and it's billy's right I, sorry yeah that was a little bit reductive i guess but it is the fact that billy's um mother or father right had an uh, affair with uh or allegedly had an affair with uh with his, his mom. mom yeah
0: yep and ruined her, his family's marriage. whatever i yeah. think overall look I, I think that the justification for it's like i don't know it's a little eye really right guys like it's all it's like oh just women they're not being holy enough right like they're they're just going around and whoring themselves out. Meanwhile, I'm like trying to pressure my girlfriend into having sex with me, and she's not having sex with me for a year afterwards. And like I think it that's the part where it gets like, I don't know, it's almost I, I if I had to point to one thing that I that I thought was not good about the film. It's like probably piecing together this sort of like motivation and justification for everything. But look, you can't you can't have everything in life, I guess. So you have that. But as a tandem, I think that the reveal that there's two of them, right. And that they're in on this together. I think the fact that it's two of them, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that makes the sort of finale of the film work really well too. I just don't like the sort of the motivation that is contrived for them to have, to like be murder, like murderous teens, like gutting, like, like what, like, uh, Drew Barrymore's character at the beginning and her boyfriend and like literally just like spilling their intestines out on the lawn. Like, I don't know, like just the fact that they're mad that she had a boyfriend, basically like what's even the justification for killing her
1: well i mean i think i think that's how it is in a lot of slasher movies you're you're like wow this is like so disproportionate like what they are doing is so disproportionate to what they are mad about so i actually like i think it's fine that it's contradictory a little bit that he is like yeah like you said he's trying to pressure sydney while also having this sort of like puritanical. Yeah, view of, honestly, of,
0: guys, it's classic in, incel behavior. Let's, yeah, let's be, let's be real. I,
1: I would be I would be scared. Let me let me put it this way. I would be concerned if I was listening to the killer's motivation and was like, oh, that makes total sense. Um, And, and that was not how I felt when I was watching this movie. So uh, I guess mission accomplished there. Danny, what do you think about the reveal? But uh, actually, Scott, I do want to ask one thing. Like, were you surprised about the reveal that it was Billy and Stu? Like, did the twist work for you? Or did you see that coming?
0: I honestly, I'll be on, like, I'll be honest. I wasn't surprised that it was Stu. I didn't necessarily see that. It w- didn't necessarily see Billy, that aspect of it coming in and there being two of them. So it, it got me with like sort of the secondary twist of it all. But this, like, I wouldn't say I was like, uh, if you'd asked me half of the movie, who's the killer, I would have necessarily said Stu, but he was definitely one of the people on like the short list of people who I thought it definitely could be. Um, especially after, uh, a- after, t- after what's her name? Um, his girlfriend Tatum Tatum yeah I was thinking Toby but I was like that's not right um, Tatum Tatum I, I was like feeling more confident that he that he was going that he was going to be the killer though I still I still thought it might be possible that you actually this is the kind of movie that would just throw someone who you don't even know as like the killer as well um, I thought that would be possible for this film but wasn't surprised that Stu was in on it was surprised that Billy was in on it and it was an inter- it, it was a fun twist for that reason Danny how about you
2: yeah, I think the the two killer thing for me was just so awesome because I, even after they like disproved that it was Billy when he was, what, he was arrested, but they were, he she still got a call from the killer. So like he couldn't have possibly called her. I still was convinced that somehow he had done it. Like somehow he had found this way. And so to see like, yes, he was still in on it. It was like this satisfying moment, but I was like, oh, that's even better than I expected. So I loved the reveal I do think that I agree with Scott Shelton that the motive was very uh, it was a stretch. I guess with Billy, they at least tried to make it like connected to his dad and, and Sydney's mom or something. I'd almost but that prefer it
0: to out be out like Stu's yeah. though. But I'm saying like, I'd almost I'd almost prefer it just to have no reason at that point, right? Like why even yeah. create this sort of like half-assed reason for him like kind of being yeah, motivated I, to do horrible things.
1: I agree that it does come out of nowhere. Like, you, Especially
2: because like, oh, then wow, okay. so Billy, right, they like make this half-assed attempt to to give him a real motive and then what is Stu's motive really yeah like Mm -hmm. we're left with like oh i guess he was just in on it like just wanted to kill some people so it just feels like yeah either get a good reason or just don't give him a reason at all they're they're clearly crazy and that's what they what they went for so yeah i think the motive Mm -hmm. was a little weird but I don't know. I think I enjoy the reveal so much that I don't, I just kind of don't even acknowledge that. I'm like, hey, it was a good, it was pretty good. You got me.
1: <laughs> Man, talking about this more just makes me want to go back and watch Scream 2. I'm actually, I, pro- I will probably watch it tomorrow, to be quite honest, because there are a lot of things that like, that we've talked about here that like are followed through on on Scream 2. So having, having watched the first one fresh now, I want to watch the second one fresh. I watched the second one like standalone, like maybe like a year ago or something. But again, after following the first one, I kind of want to, uh watch this again and just see how certain things pay off but
0: yeah to, of it, i think also the second film was turned around in less than a year too is i know and it was really good like it's yeah.
1: it is it is a freaking 22 jump street style like you know how uh you know 21 jump street was kind of a spoof of like did we even need to make this movie and then it was like did we need to make a sequel to this movie like scream 2 is like you know the first movie was a movie about horror movies and this one is a sequel about sequels um yeah. and i think i think it's really fun so i you know i and it's interesting to think about in relation to some of the things we're talking about but to danny's point i think that um yeah this the reveal works especially when you go back and rewatch it right i think like seeing how they like you know really do trick you with like oh well it obviously couldn't have been billy um because yeah he has an airtight alibi and then there are other times where it's like oh, it obviously couldn't have been Stu because he had an airtight alibi and I think, like, you know, in a horror movie, there's only so many ways – in a slash movie, there's only so many ways anymore to have, like, a reveal of a killer that's clever. And I'm not sure – I mean, I'm sure some movie had done the two killers thing before. But uh, I don't know. I think, I think it was relatively – it's relatively fresh to see that nowadays. Like, I don't think you see that reveal happening in a lot of movies. And, again, I think the pieces all add up when you go back and rewatch it. So I think it does – Add some rewatch value to the film, which I appreciate. Danny, I think you wanted to say something a second ago.
2: I was just going to add, you said that the second movie, the first movie makes fun of horror movies. The second movie makes fun of sequels. That's one of my favorite parts about the fourth movie is Mm -hmm. that they do so much of that. Really, we're making a fourth one of these and they like consistently acknowledge that through. I think that's one of the aspects of the fourth movie that I love so much.
1: And then, I mean, the third movie, right? There are literally like, she is on a movie set for them making a movie about like, again, it, it gets it gets super meta. And, you know, the second scene, the second movie has the iconic opening at the theater when Stab is premiering. And that was famously spoofed in uh, in Scary Movie. But um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think the movie I think the reveal still works for me, at least.
0: Which was also the original title of this movie.
1: Scary Movie. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Like, as you know, again, as sort of the, the satirical edge to it. But, uh, okay, well, I think uh, that just about wraps up our discussion. Is there anything else you guys want to add before we, uh, you know, do the final questions here?
0: I, Scott, you have to answer me this is that how you can appreciate this movie at all when it did the cardinal sin of not coming out before Halloween? <laughs> yeah. Came we, out we, of Christmas. We, were, we were just talking about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe again, maybe that's sort of like the uh, winking at the audience a little bit like, oh, you thought we were going to come out on Halloween, like every scary movie. But hey, let's come out at Christmas. But I personally like like a, whole, a horror movie coming out at Christmas. Like, oh, yeah. you know, you I, really I like it last
0: I, year, didn't you? Well,
1: I wasn't going to bring that up. But I think it's a fun twist on like, oh, every, you know, families go to the hall uh, to, you know, the movies on Christmas to see like, you know, some holiday movie or something like, you know heartwarming or Oscar biopic or something like that. You know, when you have like a, a horror movie out there, I think that's a fun twist. The original black Christmas, I will say this guy, since you brought that up very good, watched recently, very good. Um, but yeah, we're not going to talk about 2019, but I think there should, I think that they should do this like every, year. like maybe Blumhouse should get in the like habit of like trying to release some sort of holiday themed horror movie. Obviously this Scream isn't holiday themed, but
0: um, I think, I think but, they tried to do that with like fantasy Island on Valentine's day, but that didn't go so well either.
1: Well, yeah, they should make them good, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But, um,
0: probably anyway,
1: uh, let's move into the wrap up. I will start with, I'll start with Scott. So Danny has a couple minutes to think, but, uh, what is, what is your favorite scene or moment from screen?
0: You know, it's, it's one of the ones where Randy is being Randy, right? He's sitting on the couch talking about all the rules, how, Oh, this person, no, just turn around. The killer's right there. And, of course, Ghostface is right behind him, yeah. uh, creeping in behind him, about to kill him, and then decides to not kill him, which is a nice, uh, funny wink and nod at at the audience as well, too. I just really thought that scene was so funny, so hilarious, and, and really encapsulates what the film is trying to be like. Being a horror film, like, the killer's right behind him. Like, he could he could kill him. Like, you're, you're also, in this sort of, like, metal screaming at the TV, be like, turn around, Randy, um, while he's screaming the same thing at his TV. But then, uh, also... You know, have taking a slightly different turn there and and going a different direction with it, and he ends up playing a very small role at the end of the movie, I suppose. But it it works really well. It's really funny and captures what I enjoyed a lot about this film.
1: Yeah, and it's it's almost ironic too, right? then the the TV continues playing the movie, and Stu ends up like being actually killed by the TV, right when it falls on his head. So yeah, that, that's actually, uh, that's
0: actually the best kill scene in the movie. I I said yeah. that the garage kill scene was the best one, but that's actually the best one. Fair enough. They're all good. Uh, Danny, your favorite scene or
1: moment from Scream?
2: It's cliche to pick this, but I got to go with my my heart and my gut instinct on this one. And I have to pick the opening scene with Drew Barrymore. I think it's so iconic. And it just sets the scene and, like, sets up what kind of movie this is going to be so well that, for me, it just takes the cake. I think it it's awesome. It gets you really, you know into it and and like pedal to the metal right away like there's a there's a death within you know the first couple of minutes which I don't think is super uncommon for a slasher film but it did it in such a creative way in such a cool way and honestly such a um uh gory way that you kind of you're like okay well buckle up I'm in for a wild ride so I have to give it to the Drew Barrymore death scene iconic
1: I agree Uh, that's my favorite as well I think it's 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 fantastic i mean i love just like the the pacing of the scene like i think that the twists like come like at good points like you know it starts off it's just like you know banal conversation whatever and then it's like you know how do you know that whatever she asks, and and he's like oh because i'm looking at it or i'm looking at you and you're like oh wait something's going on and then you know she's talking about her boyfriend whatever you know he's a big football player and then you know lights come on he's out there he's tied up um I just like the way that the the tension escalates. And then, yeah, it is. I mean, it's really dark, honestly. Like, the fact that her parents, like, come home, right, and she's, like, crawling across the lawn, like, trying to – and then, you know, they come out and see her hanging from the tree. Like, it's a, it's a brutal opening. But, um, I, I mean, I think very, very well staged, uh, a very iconic horror set piece for a reason. Yeah. Um, all right, let's put a score on it. What will you give Scream out of 10? Danny?
2: I knew you were going to ask this. I was prepared this time. Uh, I think that the highest rating I've given on here before was a 9.0 for Dr. Sleep, because I did really like that. And I like this movie more.
1: Go for it. I
2: think I'm going to go with a
0: 9.3.
1: You said it was one of your favorite movies. All right, Scott. (laughs)
0: 8.0.
1: I mean, it's my number 50 movie of all time. I give it a 10. Uh, I think this is a a pretty much perfect horror movie. Um, I am not as stingy with my tens as um, other people are. Certainly as Scott or Jay are um, when we have Jay on for our countdown series. What has Jay given a 10 to? The Dark Knight probably?
0: Yeah, I'm sure he's given it to something else too, but I don't. I don't remember at this point. He didn't give it to many of, I don't think he gave it to any Star Wars movie. So yeah. Did he give last Jedi? I can't remember if he gave last Jedi a 10?
1: I don't know. But um but yeah, I, I mean I, you know, I'm not as stingy. I don't think it has to be perfect to get a 10. I I love the movie. I will continue to rewatch it. It's one of my favorites. So uh 10 out of 10 for me. All right. Uh that'll do it for uh the the first half of this episode. When uh we come back, uh Scott and I are gonna be discussing uh some things that we're looking forward to in the rest of 2020. That believe it or not, there are actually a few movies that are still coming out in 2020. Are uh, for sure? now, at least. I don't know if that's true uh, Scott, Scott, are gonna talk, Scott and I are going to talk about a couple of things that maybe we uh, we have our eye on coming out in uh, the last couple months of this year. So uh, we'll be right back after the break. back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, Scott, we wanted to take a break from uh, doing the news. Obviously, this is an atypical episode. We reviewed an old movie, so we figured yeah. let's, uh, let's just talk about what is left in the year of 2020. It's been a really weird year. Uh, we are still going to do our best of 2020 episode, of course. I don't think it's going to be quite as exciting for us uh, when we get there as it usually is uh, because we're not going to have as many like awesome films to talk about. But I will say 2020 is starting to grow on me a little bit. I mean, certainly it's not on the uh, same level as the last two years, um, last last several years. Um, But um, I have seen a lot of really good movies in the past week or so. Uh, A couple I just want to mention because uh, one of them is definitely coming out later this year. One of them might also be coming out. I'm not really sure what the planned release is for it, but... um, through the Middleburg Film Festival, I was able to watch um, One Night in Miami, which is Regina King's de- directorial debut, and um, Minari, which is uh, latest from A24, directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, really, really good films, both of them. Uh, one Night in Miami is the one that I said it will definitely be coming out. Uh, that's going to be coming out on Christmas. It is Amazon Studios, so I would expect that it's going to get an Amazon Prime release. Um, and it is; it has a lot of Oscar buzz. Um, Regina King directorial debut, obviously Academy award-winning and Emmy award-winning actress in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's got a great setup about this one night in Miami. Well, <laughs> believe it or not. Why'd um, you spoil the film, Scott? Come on. When these, it's a true story where these four black icons, um, that being Jim Brown, uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, uh, Malcolm X and, uh, Sam cook all came together and had a conversation sort of about black roles in society at the time in
0: the sixties. Um, i've heard it's basically a play but just filmed
1: it is yeah but again i people always say that as a critique and i'm like i don't mean, I it, in what, I don't mean yeah, it in a negative I know, way i don't yeah no like, i know you i know you did yeah. i mean but there are people out there who do mean it in a negative way. and i'm like i love watching like amazing actors you know taking on amazing dialogue uh i mean yeah it's a single setting but i will say she like expands the single setting a little bit like she tries not to make it too claustrophobic really. but performances are really good in this thing um The guy, Kingsley ben who plays uh, Malcolm X, I think is really excellent. Um, And the last sequence of the movie is the sequence sort of like montage with Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Sam Cooke, singing A Change Is Gonna Come. And man, that that might be the scene of the year so far. So um, check this one out. Also highly recommend Minari. Um, Really good family drama about this immigrant family of Korean immigrants who moves to Arkansas um, to start a farm and sort of the highs and lows of rural life. Um, there's a kid in this movie, Alan Kim. I'm not sure exactly how old he is; probably no older than 10 or 11. Uh, and I think he should get Oscar nominated. He's it's an incredible child performance. Um, Stephen Yoon is also really good. He plays the father. Obviously, he's uh, you know been in a few uh, per, per popular Korean films recently. I mean, there's this one there, and there was Burning a couple of years ago uh, that he did uh, with Lee Chang Dong, I believe, directed that. But um, that w- that got a lot of buzz as well. Still haven't seen that, but I need to. But Highly recommend this one as well. I've missed A24. Like, you know, we, I, I love A24 movies. They always make my year-end list. And we've only had uh, this movie. And then actually, there are a couple others that have come out, but I haven't watched it. But I do intend to watch them before the end of the year. Uh, First Cow, the Kelly Reichert movie, and then St. Maud, which is a horror movie that came out fairly recently. So uh, I do intend to check those out before the end of the year. But it's just a shame that we didn't get a lot of the A24s that were supposed to come out this year. Like I mean, after Yang, right? Which was the Koganada movie that was gonna come out. Um, I know there's one or two others I'm forgetting. Is
0: Nine about. Days an A twenty four movie? Which one is that? I don't think it is. It's the one with um Winston Duke. It's like it's about per it's like this purgatory like movie where he judges souls. Okay. I don't based... think it is. Yeah, I can't remember
1: uh, who Zola is another one, obviously, that I was looking forward to. The this Green year. Knight with um, The Green Knight with Dev Patel, yeah. Um yeah. so I've missed those, but Scott, I I do have one movie that I'm going to mention that I'm still looking forward to, but what about you? What, what are some things that are still on the release calendar that, you know, God willing, God willing that they come out. Uh, you you will be excited to see.
0: Look, not because I think it's the greatest movie that's going to ever be made, but like, it would be great to see another blockbuster in the movie theater this year. Seeing Wonder Woman 1984 this year would be really awesome. Uh, I'm not super hopeful that that will happen. To be honest, I, I really don't expect to see another blockbuster movie in the theater this year. But things that I think are probably more realistic, I mean things that we know we're definitely going to get. I mean, look, you said One Night in Miami, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for Netflix, which is probably I mean, let's be frank, it's like kind of a competitor to One Night in Miami. They're both coming out around Christmas and it's Netflix versus Amazon there, and I think that they're not that they can't both win because they're streaming services. You just turn on a TV while you're, you know, you're at your, you know, family's house for for Christmas and whatnot or around the holidays, and it'll be fine, but those I think both those films about you know, black America and black experiences in America be really strong. Unfortunately for Leslie, I hate to tell him, but change hasn't really come, unfortunately. So I think, yeah, there is like a sadness
1: on he's he thinks that. But
0: yeah, yeah, uh, all jokes aside, they're looking forward to that. And another movie, frankly, uh, starring an African-American that we know we are getting this year now is Soul. I'm so excited to be seeing soul that's coming out on Christmas. The same day as apparently as Wonder Woman 1984 and one night in Miami, as well as another movie I'm about to talk about, but seeing soul Disney plus release, it's skipping theaters and going straight to Disney plus. I'm totally fine with look. I wouldn't, I would love to be able to go see that film, you know, in a Dolby theater and an IMAX theater and be able to go see that on the big screen. That's not possible this year. And so the fact that we're still getting able to see it this year, even if it's through Disney plus, it's not behind that $30 premium wall on Disney plus. I'm really excited about that. And because it's Pete Doctor, who is my favorite Pixar director. And the reviews so far are insane. Like talking and, about one of the best Pixar movies of all time.
1: And I will add that, that that soul is actually written by Kemp Powers. Uh he has the writing credit. And Kemp Powers wrote One Night in Miami. So
0: oh, wow. um, look at that. He uh
1: yeah, he he might be getting some attention at the Oscars for sure when, in either of these movies. Obviously, soul probably more likely in the animated category. But
0: who knows? Sure. You know, it's a it's
1: a light year. when maybe it could sneak in there for best picture if the uh if the reviews are that good and people seem to like it.
0: Yeah. The the other one, which is a, a victim, of, a, a, particularly a victim of coronavirus as well, because we were supposed to get this back in April, was Promising Young Woman, which is currently slated for a Christmas Day release. That's Focus Features, which is a subsidiary of Universal, I believe. I think that we will see that come out, uh, whether it's VOD or whatever it might be. Like Universal has been the least shy about putting their films out on VOD. I think that we're going to see that this year. They they definitely want it to be a contender for Oscars, whether that is for Carrie Mulligan in the lead role or maybe I mean, look, let's be honest, female directors don't get that much love at the Oscars, so probably not a female uh, best director and I'm there. But I think they want that for awards consideration. I got a lot of hype coming out of Sundance, and it was definitely one of the movies that I was excited to see before you know everything got scrapped. So I'm looking so I'm looking for for a really big Christmas time uh, movie release. Hopefully, we'll see how many of those come to fruition. But really looking forward to that. I mean, if we get something like Death on the Nile, that'll be fun to see too, even though I can't say I'm like the most excited for that movie. But the only other one I do want to mention that I'm really excited about seeing is one that we actually haven't really talked too much about on the podcast. And that is The Sound of Metal, which is the next movie starring Riz Ahmed, uh, who I love originally from his work on The Night Of, which is a TV uh, limited series on HBO that I was a huge fan of. I'm not sure if it won Emmys or if it got... Too much awards um, love in terms of the Golden Globes and the Emmys and whatnot. But I loved that um, that limited series, and he was one of the main reasons why I loved it. His arc was awesome in that movie uh, – sorry, in that limited series. And so I'm really looking forward to see what he can do for this movie. Again, largely touted as a really interestingly made film about a, a drummer who's going deaf from tinnitus. And things like that. So I think there's a lot of interesting things to explore there. Um, a lot of the cast and crew and staff on that film were people who were deaf. So really interesting aspect from the production side of that as well. And then last honorable mention for that is on the same day as Sound of Metal is Run, which is going to be showing on Hulu, yes. which is Anish Chaganti's next film. So I think there's lots of things that we still know, like we know we are going to get this year. There's things to be excited about. It's not the same as other years where we could look at something like rise of Skywalker last year, as much as of a dud that was like, that was when I mean, we were really excited about going into going into the holidays. I don't know if there's anything quite like that or really if, if much can, can build up hype and an excitement like that. But I think there's plenty of movies that we know we're going to get, even if a bunch of things still get pushed that are going to be really exciting to watch.
1: Yeah, and those last two, Run and uh, Sound of Metal, I've heard good things about both of those. Like the the reviews so far are, are pretty good. The early uh, reviews that are trickled in for them are are pretty good.
0: But oh, interesting. Um, I, I thought I'd heard, I'd seen mixed things about about Run, but Sound of Metal definitely. Oh, I've it. seen
1: I've seen some good things about Run. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I haven't looked at the whole consensus. But um, But Sound of Metal, yeah, has been showing at a lot of the festivals that I have looked at, and I just like because of money things. Again, I went with minari and one night in miami just because i wanted to see those a little bit more um and so yeah but i have seen again i've seen people who have i i know people who have seen this and have really liked it i think it looks like a really good movie so again i want to make time for it before the end of the year um and yeah all the other ones you mentioned as well you know you said female director yeah maybe not doesn't have much of a chance this year i i mean there's going to be at least one that gets nominated i I will go out on the limb and say that because obviously we have regina king i think has a pretty decent chance but uh the movie that is the front runner for best picture right now doesn't mean that it, it will be, you know, when Oscar season comes, obviously we're still a long ways off, but I'd be very surprised if Chloe Zhao uh, and Nomad Land do not get a lot of uh, recognition at the Oscars. And I think after what happened last year, right, with, um, you know, the, I think one of the biggest talking points, if not the biggest about, well, I guess there were like, there was one black nominee for acting or something, which is always a talking point as well, but one of the other biggest talking points, diversity-wise, was the fact that, again, all men, all men nominated for Best Director, when you had people like Greta Gerwig again, you know, uh, Alma Harrell, Lulu Wang, Marielle Heller, all, Lucas. All make, yeah all making great movies last year. Um, and so I think the Academy is going to be somewhat cognizant of that. Who knows? Again, I, I hesitate to put my faith in them ever, but I think we will most likely see Chloe Zhao. We may also see... Uh, Regina King get in there as well, but, um, but Nomadland is the movie that I wanted to mention because, yeah, everyone who has seen that seems to think it's, it's absolutely wonderful. This is, uh, I think it's based on a true story about um, a woman who basically becomes a modern day nomad uh, and sort of starts driving around, meeting people, um, just kind of experiencing life on the road, uh, and it's kind of a one-woman show for Frances McDormand, from what I understand, um, she, uh, is kind of the only star, I think in the film, you know, it's, it's again, a, a lot about her character is kind of traveling around. Um, it seems like the kind of like, you know, maybe like plot light on plot, uh, you know, high on character development conversations. And that, like that type of movie is, is, you know, that's a lot of my favorite movies to be quite honest. Um, and so, and again, the reviews have been amazing. I, I, I know people who have seen it, have loved it. And Frances McDormand like. Man, she's got two Oscars already. She's going to be right in the race again, I think, for, to get her third um, this year. And, you know, fine by me. She's an incredibly talented actress, uh, you know, very resting screen presence. And I have no doubt that her performance in this is going to be something to behold, um, just like most of her performances are.
0: Yeah, I'm still skeptical that uh, the Oscars will happen this year. But look, everything I've heard in Land wouldn't surprise yeah. me that it is the front runner in a lot of categories it's searchlight legacy Fox searchlight, which always shows up uh, at the Oscars and look like the Metacritic on this thing. is like almost a hundred isn't it? It's like almost perfect Metacritic. Yeah.
1: And, and Chloe Zhao, like it's, it's very interesting, right? Because she, her next movie is, she's got to get her
0: Oscar in now because she's not going to get very much love for the next one. It's going to be crazy
1: to see someone potentially go from winning best director to then doing the Eternals, right? A MCU movie. But, um, but yeah, that's cool. Again, I, I, that makes me, you know, excited because people loved the writer, right? Which was her last movie. Um, and now she has this movie. It's clear she wasn't a one hit wonder or anything like that. It's clear she has a real talent and that's the type of, you know, independent filmmaker mind that I want to see coming to the MCU more. And then I think we are going to start getting right. You know, we have uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton who is going to be directing uh, Shang-Chi as well. So I, I think that's going to be uh, interesting to watch and and I'm, I'm excited to see Nomadland, obviously, and The Eternals uh, when when it comes out.
0: Flexing a bit of a double standard there for Chloe Zhao than Barry Jenkins.
1: Yeah, but I mean, the MCU, we I I want these movies like I need I I feel like we needed these movies to continue the MCU narrative. Like, I don't think that The Lion King uh, is really that necessary, but I I take your point. I take your point. I guess it's not um, right to, you know, to. uh, to call him a sellout and not do the same for her, um, I do think you know it, it's MCU. Sure, it's it's probably going to do very very well, but Eternals is a new property, right? Like not a lot of people are going to be as familiar with it. So she does have a little more groundwork to do there, I guess, in creating, um,
0: you know, the narrative. But um, well, she, she's not creating the narrative for it, but I right. But you know, in
1: in crafting the film, getting it out there, whatever but, style. Um, certainly, the style yes, will be yes. will be hers
0: for sure. Yes. Um, it's actually just so this are, big talkie of all these like like alien beings in the in this like boardroom. They're just gonna talk traveling about
1: Traveling to different worlds. Um
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. no. <laughs> and, and uh I take I take your point though. But
1: um yeah, as far as the Oscars Scott, like I think I think you're right that it's it's up in the air whether they will happen. I think it's a shame if they don't happen. Because and people other people have made this point, but like this is the type of year where we could actually see the type of films and the type of artists that we have been wanting to see get recognized. Um
0: the past but few years. No one's years, gonna watch it, Scott. That's get recognized.
1: Nope. I I know, I know. I'm just saying yeah. that if it happens, I would be disappointed, which means it probably will happen because that's the Oscars, right? They're just disappointed. <laughs> um, but I think that um but I think it would be a shame, right? Because this is a chance when like um, you know, we could get some fe- multiple female directors nominated. We could see some like, you know more interesting films that we may not necessarily see get in the best picture okay. race, something like that, or screenplays um, acting performances. Um, I, I don't know. I think there's more of a chance uh, to see really strong nominees across the board because there have been a lot fewer films to pick from this year. Um, it just means and, that
0: they can disappoint you even more than. Yeah. And, uh, it it just means, it means that they can
1: give hillbilly elegy, like the record breaking 19 nominees or not nominations or something.
0: Well, you're but. so negative on that movie. The trailer wasn't that bad.
1: Would you be saying that if Amy Adams and Glenn Close weren't in it?
0: Yeah, the trailer wasn't that bad. I'd I'd be saying, look, I look, I guess we've not talking the podcast. I'm very skeptical. I'm, I'm excited about Mank. Trailer was not good. Trailer did not get me excited about the film whatsoever. But Fair, I, yeah. but I'm excited about the movie. Hillbilly yeah. Udge, I don't care about that film very much. Look, I'm an like Amy Adams is my favorite actress. I'll raise my hand and say that. Actually, it goes back and forth between her and Charlie's Theron. But, like, what I say, like, the, the trailer was fine. It, like, didn't make me excited to see the movie. But, I don't know, all the stuff that you've been saying that also other people, have, that you've been saying that other people have also been saying about it, I don't see it. Like, look, it's definitely Oscar bait. But, like, that you get that every year. The movies are still good.
1: Yeah, it's not just that it's Oscar bait. It's just, like, the stuff I've heard about the book and stuff is that the portrait it paints of the South and Southerners is a little intellectually but isn't it written dishonest, by I
0: guess. Is isn't it written by a southerner? Like I get pain, maybe like yeah. maybe these aren't the well, right actors to cast. Maybe 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 you go cast nobodies, but
1: Yeah. Well, I mean he he what is it? He maybe he was raised in the South, but he like goes off to law school and then he comes back. I don't know. It just gives me like maybe like a slightly condescending vibe about the way that um that like the family members or whatever are being viewed. But it's only a trailer, right? Like I'm not freaking out, right? I'm not giving up on the movie yet. Like trailers um are notoriously like, you know. We've seen a lot of trailers that are like, oh, this looks amazing. And then the movie turns out to be crap. We've seen movies before where the trailers aren't that exciting. And the movie turns out to be really good. You mentioned Mank. I'm not going to say it was the greatest trailer ever either. But obviously, I mean, you know, I didn't mention it in this segment because I think everyone knows I'm excited for it. We just did a whole series on Fincher because of me primarily. Um, So, yeah, the the trailer didn't necessarily get me more excited, but like it didn't need to like any movie that has David Fincher's name attached to it.
0: Which, I'm by there. the way, the trailer didn't have David Fincher's name attached. Yeah, to he didn't. That is true. Which is yeah. the strangest thing ever. I was really yeah. puzzled by that. Um, look, JD Vance like went to Yale for like Yale Law School, which I think is the point that you're making here. But he's like from Ohio. Like he's from where this, like where this a large part of this movie is set. Vanessa Taylor is the screenwriter who wrote Shape of Water. So it's like they have like good screenwriters, and it seems like JD Vance like has the experience. I don't, I don't know this guy. But we haven't
1: seen the Shape of Water. Maybe the script sucks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, people say that the script and the movie is good. I have not personally see, seen it, but yeah. look, I, I based on what everyone else tells me, it seems like it's a good movie and and checks a lot of the boxes. There is Hillbilly Elegy. Look, like, does it feel fake? And do I imagine that it's gonna hit some people the wrong way? Probably, like maybe I think whenever Hollywood makes a movie about a group of people that it doesn't well that they perceive that Hollywood doesn't understand them. I think it's gonna have like a weird resonance to it. But like. I don't know, guys, like it does, it, the the trailer was whatever. The trailer was like fine
1: to me. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like to me, it's like a green book situation or like you go back and really? listen to our. Well, no, but here's what I'm going to say. But you go back and listen to our green book review. Like, right. Like we both enjoyed the movie. I still think green book is a fine it's a, movie. It's, right? a like, it's, it's a good film. It's a good film. It's a totally fine movie. The thing that bothers me about it is this this movie should not have been nominated for best picture it certainly shouldn't have one best picture it is a perfectly serviceable film for what it is trying to do and i don't doubt that hillbilly elegy is going to be the same but this strikes me as the type of movie right where it's like it's going to get unnecessary oscar attention again you might see like the frustrating thing of like glenn close or amy adams finally winning an oscar and this just sort of a slightly above average movie being the movie that they want it for instead of you know arrival or fatal attraction or you know any of these like classic movies that they have done performances in um and uh and so yeah like it's it's not that i think the movie is going to be like a dumpster fire or anything it's just that i think the movie is going to be the kind of very middling very oscar Beatty type thing that uh is going to make me frustrated when maybe it wins over you know a minari or you know, something like nomad even Nomadland. Who knows? I mean, I'm not, I'm not getting ahead of myself, but uh, yeah. that's the reason I have a little bit of consternation about it. Not because, again, I've given up on the movie. I think it's going to be some train wreck or anything. I mean, Ron Howard usually turns out solid movies.
0: He's a safe director. I think overall, yeah. look like this. This film is like going to be one of those. Like, I don't know the whole 19 nominations. Like, this film looks like it's going to get your like, it's going well, to get your like right? core. I know, so, I know, I know. But like, I think it's going to get your core. Like, it's going to probably get Amy Adams and going Close nominations. But like, what else is this movie going to do? Adapted screenplay, probably. Yeah. yeah, sure. Maybe. Right? Like, look, there's, like, it's fine. Like, I don't even know how you can get that upset this about picture... it. Like, I haven't seen the movie yet. But, like, how could you even get that upset about that? If they win, maybe that's I'm not like that story. upset about it. I, I'm but not that But people are, upset like, losing their mind over it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I,
1: I agree. I mean, I think that people probably have already a lot of... There are a lot of people out there who have probably already decided what they're going to feel about the movie. I am not one of those people. Yeah. I am intrigued to see it. I am not counting out the possibility that... It might be really good, and the trailers are just really
0: bad. That has certainly happened before. Definitely. Um, like the last thing I will say, though, unrelated to all of this, move, like yeah, move, well, let's just move us past this. Is yeah. that the real winner of 2020? Is like some of the some really great TV shows, guys. Like if you're if you're looking for something to watch right now, Queen's there's plenty. Gambit. Yes, there's plenty of great TV to watch. Like normal people earlier this year is one of the best things I've seen in the last few years. Right now, Scott and I are both watching The Queen's Gambit. It just came out. Uh, I guess at the time our release it came out about a week before this podcast airs, and it's really good. Like Annie Taylor Joy is amazing, so good is amazing in this TV show. Like, is this? I don't think the show right now is going to beat out normal people for for me this year. Um, but it's but it's one of the better things that I've seen this year in a in a year of pretty good TV. I'm also watching Lovecraft Country, Scott. I think for Halloween you should watch Lovecraft Country. Like, honestly, yeah. you should like watch a couple episodes of that. To see I mean, I've, that.
1: Heard, I've I've heard really good things. Um, it's just it's the, definitely like, the yeah. show that
0: I watch one episode like. And like wait a week and then watch mm-hmm. the next episode. Yeah. Whereas like the Queen's Gambit here, I'd like watch three episodes in in two or three days. Right, yeah. And I mean
1: obviously I want to finish that right now. We have Mando, which comes back next week. Obviously, it's just one one at a time, obviously, like like the first season was, but still. I gotta I gotta watch
0: the undoing because I like rich white people's problems. So so I gotta watch the undoing. But that shows feel like it's been like canceled by film Twitter because it's about white people. I am just like so confused. Like no one said that about (laughs) big little lies. Yeah. (laughs) We're not gonna Um, go down that road. Uh but But yeah, no,
1: Queen's Gambit is phenomenal. I've only watched two episodes um, so far, but I am I'm so hooked, Uh, like very well written. Scott Frank, very established uh, screenwriter. And um, he, I think, did a really good job with this from what I've seen so far. And yeah, like obviously I still have five episodes to watch. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the thing if I'm like two best things I've seen this year in any sort of visual entertainment, normal people and the Queen's Gambit. Um, yeah, right, we'll, right now, you know,
0: get, it's not even yeah. close. Normal people is the best thing I've seen in, in, yeah. the, in the medium this year, easily. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if Queen's Gambit is going to touch it, because normal
1: people is, like, in our opinion, I think, one of those these, like, once in a decade, once oh. in a, you know, se- every few years, like, yeah. a cosmic explosion of, like, thing thing that just dropped out of nowhere and is and absolutely perfect. But, um yeah, we'll see. I I, I mean, I, I will... Yeah. Follow anywhere Anya Taylor Joy goes.
0: So it's fine. You guys can all in the comments say that we just like white people TV shows because normal people is a very white person TV show too. So
1: hey, you mentioned Lovecraft Country though. That'll get you. That's
0: some true. Things. And yeah. I watched, I mean, that is still white people, I guess technically, but I did watch um oh gosh, what's the what's the alt history alt World War II uh the plot against Man, America? You can't I even watch. remember
1: the the name. This is even worse. Well,
0: it's <laughs> like an obtuse name, the plot against America. Uh yeah, the that's Philip like Roth about, thing, about yeah. Jewish families, uh which is in all World War Two setting with whoever the pilot was that ran for president, I'm forgetting now. Doesn't And matter. I
1: watched, and I watched Teenage Bounty Hunters, which is a show about teenage bounty hunters. So I mean, that's that's pretty <laughs> do, teenage diverse. Teenage bounty opinion. hunters. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's very fair. I I still want to watch um, the Outer Banks. Is Outer Banks the Outer Banks? Outer Bank. But, yeah, let, let me tell you,
1: it's not going to be on the level of a normal people or a uh, well now a yeah. Yeah. queen's gambit, but but that's like the point, right? It's it's a fun watch, it's escapist entertainment. Right now, when we're like trapped trapped in the house, kind of you know the weather's maybe not is starting to get colder or whatever. I feel like it's a great thing to just like turn on, turn off your brain, whatever. Um, but yeah, but anyway, yeah. TV shows are good this year, and I'm watching I, Harley I like Quinn. A lot.
0: I'm watching Harley Quinn season two right now, which is technically a TV show that came out this year. Yeah fantastic the the one of the like i can't say it's like the best animated show that i've watched because i've also watched bojack this year which is amazing um uh, but really great animated show i this is our really convoluted way of saying that this is going to become a tv podcast so i
1: hope you guys have enjoyed the movie run that we've had but uh yeah there's no more movies so uh tv shows it is yeah, yeah. we'll uh, we'll see you next week for some like it queen's gambit all right, Scott, I think that should just about do it for uh, a pretty fun episode of Something Like It, Scott, if I do say so myself. Thanks again to our guest, Danny Kunkel, for joining us. Uh, we always enjoy having her on, um, and I think we had a good discussion of uh, one of my favorite movies, one of her favorite movies. So, um, yeah, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, don't forget about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Uh, you can support us over there. Like, rate, review, subscribe, do all the things you do on your preferred podcast app, Apple. Spotify anchor we're on all of them. Um, check us out there. Uh, check out our newsletter. of course you can subscribe uh, with the link in the comments. This past week's newsletter was really good in my opinion. it, it was packed with a lot of stuff um, and I try my best on this thing every week. so uh, if you if you uh, are interested, uh, do subscribe in the uh, in the in the description for this episode because uh, I have a lot of fun doing it. I think I've heard people enjoy reading it. so many people uh, are p- saying, <laughs> Many people are saying, yeah,
0: uh,
1: that this is the the greatest newsletter in the history of newsletters.
0: As um, as our you know the the title character of our next I was going to you know, say next on, movie reviewing is it very nice
1: on the ne- on the uh, on that note on the next episode of something like it's got which we hope you will join us for. Uh, yeah, we're doing it in honor of the uh, election. We're going to be talking about Borat 2's subsequent movie film and depending um, on
0: the outcome of the election, we could have a whole hour podcast before we even get to the movie. So who even knows? Oh, gosh i hope not um it'll but be, we won't leave it in though if, if we do we'll just we be an hour it deep in. on. we'll be an hour deep on our like live stream but i'll add we'll the look up, hour we'll the look film. up at the
1: we'll look up at the counter and it'll be like oh crap we're an hour in but yeah okay. join us next time we're talking about borat 2. uh until then for scott shelton uh, and danny Kunkel. i'm scott harvey we'll see you next time thanks for listening guys